0: The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as and Scotty announce another member of the Top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the Top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness here on the Zone Sports Network. So the Jazz lose, and immediately, texts are flying back and forth between members of the sports media about six weeks until college football camp opens. Or they're out on social media like myself. (laughs) Yeah, some of them are on social media. They weren't all text. You're right. Six weeks to college football. Now, that's practice, not games. But we get another month in, and then away we go. And so it's that time, the breadcrumbs that will lead us to the college football season have begun to appear.
1: What you're about to talk about, I just got a text saying that this version has shown up in my mailbox as of this morning. Phil Steele. A one-man cottage
0: industry, putting together a magazine, spends about an hour talking to college football coaches, going over their team, had a former sports information person say, man, there are a couple people out there who really do their homework. (laughs) And one of them is Phil Steele. So he's got his Pac-12 projections out, and I have to say, and I will uh, share them with all of you here momentarily, Yach has already paid the freight to get the real deal. But uh, the headline, the prediction is, uh, let me just say, if you just started guessing, you wouldn't be far off. I mean, you need a little background. You can't be up you know, taking total flyers, but that's the point. Phil Steele's not taking flyers either. The teams that are good are largely the teams you think are good. You get the coach, you get the talent pipeline rolling, and nothing changes. (laughs) I mean, if if I ask most of you who are the top two teams in the North and who are the top two teams in the South, you'd largely get it. In the North, he's got Washington 1 and Oregon 2. I know you're shocked. Now, I know there are people out there who think Stanford or Cal's ready to make a jump or Stanford's going to be back. Stanford 3, Washington State 4, Cal 5, and Oregon State 6. Oregon was in the state as was in the uh, the state title game. Ha, Oregon was in the Pac-12 title game last year. Washington was the first place team in that shortened season. So, we'll all wait for them to play again. Because we figure that's what's really going to decide things. Stanford, you know, after having double digit win seasons five times in six years, going to three Rose Bowls and a Fiesta, Stanford's not been the same. Nine and five, nine and four, four and eight, and then 2020, you know, that shortened mini season. So, that's now... 2016 was the last 10-win season under Shaw. So, we're going back five years now. It's going to be the Tanner McKee era this year. Okay, well... Oh, time to get it going. There's, there's a debate. Time to bounce back. I got a quarterback battle going on. Now, I do think that when they do these, and we'll get to the South in a second, that when they do these, they shouldn't just list, you know, one, Washington, return, two, Oregon, return. Like... It should be one Washington space to Oregon. They should be on the same line. And sometimes you have to double space down. Right? There's a big break. In the South, Phil Steele has USC 1, Utah 2, Arizona State 3. Now there should be a double space to UCLA. A triple space to Colorado. And then, like, Arizona should be six, but on another page. Have a chasm? This, yes, a chasm. Thank you. A Grand Canyon, if you will, separating Arizona from Utah and everybody else. Jed
1: Fish has got a lot of work to do.
0: This whole listing, one, two, three, four, five, six, assumes that everything's close and everyone's close, and and we know in the Pac-12, in one or both divisions, you know, there'll be teams tied at five and four, teams tied at four and five. So there may not be much of a gap between third place and fifth place. It might actually even be tied. So I don't think that's really accounted for, you know, the separation. I mean, in the South, if any of the top three wins, top three win the division, it won't be that big a surprise. SC is the favorite, but I don't think it's that far to Utah and ASU. On the other hand, if UCLA, Colorado, or Arizona wins it, it'll be where did they come from? In the case of UCLA, it'll be, well, it's about time. When were they going to make that jump? But does anyone really think they're going to open up a reputable preseason magazine and see UCLA 1 or 2? So Phil Steele, Washington 1, Oregon 2 in the north, USC 1, Utah 2 in the south, ASU 3. No shockers there. And I think for two reasons— We should see some shockers this year. It comes down to talent. And number one, the transfer portal, guys are changing schools. And it's not, you know, you need the overall talent on the roster. It's always been the problem with recruiting rankings. And I think that it just gets worse now because we got all the transfers. If you take a significant hit in a position group, it can sink your whole team. You could have a lot of talent on your team, but if none of it's in the O-line, uh-oh. You're going to have a lot of talent on your team, but if you don't have a quarterback, uh-oh. But you know, you can have all the pieces offensively, and you can have NFL linebackers, but if your D-line is just getting shoved off the ball three yards on every snap, what's your record going to be? How many teams are you going to outscore? You might get six, seven, eight wins, because you win a bunch of games 45-41, but... Are you really a championship caliber team? The best are going to handle you if one position group is gutted. So I think because of the transfers, which we're having a hard time assessing, and because we didn't really get a look, especially in the Pac-12, we didn't really get a look at last year. There's going to be two years of development for a lot of these guys. There's going to be stuff that happens that we're not going to have a good read on. And somebody who's totally off the radar has had two years to get bigger, stronger, faster, and watch film, work on the football IQ side of things. And somebody is going to be a much better player, where did they come from? How did this corner, wide receiver, linebacker, whoever, just explode onto the scene? Well, it's because we didn't get the normal update we get year to year. And so over the course of two years, these guys who are still growing up, still improving physically, mentally, psychologically – There's going to be some people taking big jumps. And if several people do it for one team, then maybe UCLA is finally back to where they should be. Shouldn't they be one of the better teams sitting right in Southern California? And it hasn't been that way for a while now. All right, there's your college football, a little Phil Steele. The the magazine is out, and there's your Pac-12 projection. Not that many surprises, but it's college football. And that's why we're gonna change the playoff, because there aren't that many surprises. You got about you got two you got two teams penciled in automatically, and you got six teams for four spots. Is Ohio State penciled in as automatically as Alabama and Clemson? That's your big question right there. And then Oklahoma and Georgia and Notre Dame. Is it, it's what we normally have in the NBA and we don't have this year. Normally in the NBA, I pick two or three teams, you take the field. Eight, nine years out of ten, I got the champion, you don't, I win, you lose. This year, uh-oh, I take two or three teams. I take the Lakers and the Nets. oh Then college football, I take Alabama and Clemson, Ohio State and Oklahoma, Notre Dame and Georgia. Did I get them all? The Georgia spot rotates. You know, one year it's LSU spot. One year it's Georgia spot. There was a time when Big Ten teams like Michigan State could get it, but that, that time's long gone. All right, we got one NFL note. We played this for you an hour ago. Yak, we, we have to give the eight o'clock listeners Tom Brady. And normally we would tease this. And hold this over you, try to get you to stay during commercial break, but we're not going to do it. We're going to reward you for listening right now. Tom Brady was on, was it an HBO show or an HBO, one of the HBO podcast deals? I believe it was an HBO podcast. One of their streaming, streaming things. OTT, yeah. Yeah. OTT, that's (laughs) an industry lingo. I like it. Over the top. You know. You're the man. They'd have dropped the lingo on us. You're lucky PK isn't here today. He would let you have it for OTT. He would have busted me for that. He would have busted yes. your chops. Well, aren't you the industry insider? First time I heard OTT, I was in a meeting trying to pretend like I wasn't stupid. Everybody else knew what they were talking about. I'm like, oh, what's an OTT? OTT. Oh, what? Trying to figure it out. Read between the, the lines. Real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got your phone out below the table. OTT. <laughs> All right, so Tom Brady is asked on this OTT over the top. This is streaming service or whatever it is. Uh, he's asked about uh, the transition from New England to Tampa Bay, and they get into the other teams that he could have gone to. And I think we can all, you know, play the game. Well, what if he'd gone to San Francisco? What if he'd gone to Tennessee? What if they pushed Breeze out a year early in New Orleans and he'd gone there? You know, you can go on down the line, right? There's the, the list of usual suspects. And Tom Brady, (laughs) not everybody loves Tom Brady. Not everybody wants Tom Brady. A fact that seems to confound Tom Brady just a little bit.
1: One of the teams, they weren't interested at the very end. I was thinking, you're sticking with that
0: mother? (laughs) Tom Brady going against type. Dropping that. Somebody didn't want Tom Brady. And there he is, holding his seventh Super Bowl trophy. Temporarily before he throws it to somebody in another boat. Did he throw it from a boat to the dock or dock to the boat? Or was it, it boat was to boat, boat.
1: boat? It was boat to boat. He turned I gotta around. I got to get that detail down. Had his teammates say, hey, toss it. And he throws it. And apparently, had that been dropped, it's going in down in about 70 feet of water or oh. such. <laughs> it would have just been. Man, there's so
0: many scuba diving and They're like, I wish that had dropped, get man. The we would have gone down there and got it. We would have gotten so much pub. It's 70 feet of water. Okay, it's a lot of water, but it's not an impossible amount of water. So there it is. Tom Brady was rejected by somebody, and he can't believe it. And now everybody wants to know who the team was. Yak is pretty sure it's his Niners. Is that because it really is the Niners, or is that just because uh, you're bummed because uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is uh, the guy everyone likes to complain hey, about? Yeah,
1: we got Trey Lance now. Watch out. I don't know. <laughs> I, He's from the Bay Area. He's it taught- makes sense he would want to go there because he grew up in Northern California. His parents still live in the Bay Area. Yeah. They never left. He's,
0: he was a Niner Joe Montana fan. There's that picture of him at a Niner
1: playoff game. Yep. So I, I'm i biased, but I think there's something there with the whole Jimmy G connection How and the whole falling out in New England, all that stuff. I think there's something there. But there's people saying Tennessee was I don't get that, that, though. The Niners just jettisoned
0: Jimmy G. Trade him for a seventh-round pick and a bag of chips. I mean, why would
1: there be fallout? I don't get that. Here's the deal. Bill Belichick apparently wanted to keep Jimmy G, so why not just ship him right back to New England? And there's that,
0: too. Sure. Okay. Why wouldn't you want to keep Jimmy G? Look at the cast of characters that are quarterbacks in New England. Why wouldn't you want Jimmy G at least as an option? And if Cam Newton beats him out, Cam Newton beats him out. Sure. Cam's supposed to be healthier now and the second year in his system and all that kind of stuff. Dennis Lindsay was just talking about that uh, on the Jazz exit interviews. They're going back to his time in Houston and San Antonio that the second and third year in his system, they see significant improvement from players, right? Bogey will be going into his third year. You know, Joe Ingles, is, <laughs> Joe Ingles is Joe Ingles. He's seven years he, in. Yeah, he's seven years in. But for Bogey, it's his third year. For Conley, it's his third year. They can still see improvement in the system.
1: And I so maybe bitter be a bitter 49ers fan who wanted to believe that's
0: So what I is. get where Belichick would be like, well, I got Cam Newton in the system for the second year. He can be better. And if I get Jimmy G, well, it would have been his first year when they yeah, did it. but
1: you bring Jimmy G back, right. who's already been there. And you get more out of him.
0: All right. Well I'm just playing
1: after the shock value of Mr. Clean Cut Tom Brady dropping the what? Here's the thing. He puts out of a clean cut image, but if you talk to people about him when he is playing Just Careful. He's very it's a very crafted image in the public sphere, but the dude is beloved by his teammates, but he is also a guy who will get Well, right and in it's
0: also saying that in that area sure. is different than saying it somewhere else. The There's a different of play, level yeah. of expectations in different circumstances. And you can argue there shouldn't be because I know some of you are cringing right now, but whether there should or shouldn't be, there is. And he played it for shock value. All right, when we come back, Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report, joins us next. Do the Jazz need to have the small ball option? What went horribly wrong? What needs to be added in the offseason? We'll get to that next with Andy Bailey. Jerry Brewer, Washington Post Sports columnist, more money for NCAA athletes. We'll get to that at nine o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 the zone, and we are brought to you in part by Christian Roberts Mortgage. If you're going to work with an expert for your next home loan, you need to connect with the most referred lender in Utah, Christian Roberts Mortgage. They specialize in jumbo loans.
2: Now, let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network.
0: I believe Donovan Mitchell, I believe Quinn Snyder, from Rudy Gobert all the way down to Trent Forrest. I believe those guys believed that they were better than the two teams that are currently playing in the Western Conference Finals. And that is what's nauseating.
2: I think this is going to be a year that's going to stick in the craw of Jazz fans for a long time. And when we talk about opportunities and things like that, this is going to be a big what-if kind of year. What if the Jazz were healthy? Huge what-if. What if Donovan doesn't injure the ankle? What if uh, Mike doesn't injure the hamstring? The Jazz are looking at like, if we're healthy, we didn't lose to a better team. Hanson Scouting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK, we're joined now by Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at SmartRain.net. Andy, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Andy, I think we're going to start off with a question that is on everybody's mind. I'm just going to ask it on behalf of the people. Let the bleep just happened, Andy. <laughs> Come on. Man,
2: I it was a total meltdown. I think that's what happened. Um when when the news broke that Kawhi Leonard sprained his knee and was, you know, out indefinitely, that was sort of the door opening for the Jazz, obviously. I mean, I, I think at that point they were clearly the better team. Um and <laughs> I still think they have a better roster than a Kawhi-less Los Angeles Clippers. Um, they just got hit with that small ball lineup and and never made any kind of an adjustment. And I think that's the big takeaway. There's there's a lot of people today and you know the last few days in the national media and elsewhere kind of wringing their hands about Rudy Gobert and how you can't pay him and play him in the playoffs. You can't possibly pay him that contract that he's he's got um, and it just won't work. But I think the bigger takeaway is you just have to be able to adjust. Um, There are 24, 25 teams in the NBA that Rudy Gobert just dominates, and you you need to have him out there against those teams. But the teams that can go small in the playoffs, we've seen year after year, can go far in the playoffs, and and Utah has to have some kind of counter for that. Even if it's just for a few minutes here and there, um, you have to be able to stem that tide. When Terrence Mann is hitting (laughs) – three after three in the corner and, and yelling at the, the opposing players. I think at one point he was yelling at Gobert. Um, you've you've got to have some other counter. Um, try anything else at some point. I, I think it's a meltdown in a bunch of different ways because, like I said, if, you, if, if I look at those two rosters even today, I think that the, that the Jazz, and they weren't healthy either, frankly, um, but I still think that's a better roster than the Clippers without Kawhi
0: totally agree with you on the Jazz health. There's nothing that can really be done about that. I don't think there's enough being talked about about Paul George mm-hmm. just running over Donovan Mitchell away from the ball in garbage time at the yep. end of Game 2. But as much as it would be fun to sit around and complain about that, and that's worth complaining about, and I don't think there's been enough said about that, you know, c- coaches tell players control what you can control. So now I think the message for the players, the coaches, and the front office is: Well, control what you can tr- control. You can't control Paul George running Donovan over. You can't control that Donovan and, and Mike Conley had the injuries in the regular season that sidelined him the last month of the regular season. What can you control? Well, from a player perspective, the f- First thing I would go as long as we're on the small ball thing before we get to the front office perspective, Rudy, you got to punish small ball lineups. Yeah. You've got to punish them. There have to be more dunks. There have to be coaches who say, I know we want to go small ball, but if we put this 6'8 guy out there who shoots threes, okay, a Morris type player, we're in trouble. Like we're giving up two every possession at the other end between Donovan Mitchell getting layups. I realized Donovan couldn't really drive cause he was hurt. Right. Between Donovan Mitchell layups and Rudy Gobert dunks, like they're going to score two points every time down the floor. So I feel like that's the first thing that's got to happen is Rudy's got to punish small ball lineups.
2: I think that's true. Um, and I don't, I don't want to sound like the biggest Gobert apologist <laughs> in the media right now. And maybe, maybe that's my title. I'll own it if it is. Um, he he needs to punish smaller lineups, but he's he's never been a post-up guy, and I don't think he needs to be. Um, a, a big part of Gobert punishing smaller lineups falls on the guards and the wings on that team. And, and I you know, I don't think it was as bad as it was a couple years ago when, when there were clips of Gobert going around the Internet, jumping up and down the lane and screaming at his teammates for not getting him the ball. But there were still times in that series where he's – roll into the rim, and the only guy between him and the basket is somebody like Reggie Jackson or Marcus Morris or Nick Batum. Um, and that, that ball's got to be there. Um, and, and, I, you know, a lot of people have countered me online saying, well, he can't catch the ball. Um, he can't, you know, make a move if he does get it. So get it to him high. Throw him a lob. <laughs>
0: uh, you're totally, I, I believe this 100%, don't throw the ball to Rudy throw the ball towards the rim and let him go get it. And when he's going to the rim to get it, I think then the numbers are off the charts in his favor.
2: one of the best best lob finishers in the league. And frankly, he he hasn't played with a great lob passer um, maybe his whole career. I mean, even when Ricky Rubio was there, there were all those stories about how he just wasn't used to throwing lobs. Um, And Conley was coming from playing with Gasol for 10 or 15 years or whatever it was. He's certainly not a lob finisher. Um, you know Mitchell obviously has time to develop that part of his game, but when I watch, you know these these guys are kind of anomalies, so you can't expect to have someone like this necessarily. But you you watch a lob passer like Trey Young or James Harden, and you think, man, what would Rudy Gobert do with somebody like that setting him up? Um, you know, I, I think with a really good lob passer, he's probably close to twenty points a game. Um, and certainly, if teams go small, he's going to destroy them. And and I I love the way that you express that. It's it's just throw the ball to the rim, and let him go get it because his length is is pretty much unparalleled. He's pretty explosive for a guy of his size. Um, so I think, you know, certainly it's on him to a degree, but it's also on those teammates to get him the ball where he can be successful. And I think simple pick and rolls with lobs, I, I think would have torn those smaller lineups apart.
0: The Utah Jazz in the regular season were twenty-one and fifteen on the road. In the playoffs, they went. They they were good in Memphis. They went two and zero in Memphis, but they went zero and three in L. A. Not only did they go zero three, just like the toughness, the grit, the resilience, I thought it was lacking in all three of the losses. There were just times they had that look in their eye, like. We're not going to get it done. We know we're not going to get it done. and We don't really know what we should change now, but we just know this isn't working. What are they going to do? And 21-15 and 15 is not a horrible road record. It's not the best road record in the league, but it's not far off it. So it's not yeah, like they I mean, were terrible. The Suns were the best team on the road. And then the Nuggets, and then I think the Jazz are tied for third with the Clippers. So they're not terrible in the regular season, but in the playoffs, ah, did that bug you, the look in their eye in the three road games?
2: Yeah, I mean, you're right. 21-15 and 15 is a solid road record, and there was – I think there is something to what you're saying. There's Every year in the postseason or when the postseason starts um, – there's always this little bit of me and it's been this way for the last few years because last year it was the bucks this year it was the jazz. There are these teams that just have ridiculous regular season numbers, historic regular season numbers. Frankly, I think it was the bucks maybe two years ago had one of the best um, simple rating system, which combines point differential and strength of schedule. I think they had like top 10 in the league. Um, And so I look at that as a numbers guy and think, well, of course they should win the title. Um, But then there's this little piece of me that just, it's it's sort of intangible um you know numbers can't really measure it I always trust guys who've done it before um (laughs) as I say this I realize it doesn't really apply to that Clippers team after Kawhi went down um but it's just there's there's like a safety in predicting that Kawhi Leonard will prevail or a safety in predicting that LeBron will prevail um and I think for teams that haven't gone all the way there is a possibility that you get in those moments where you know you're on the road like you said and a run starts and you kind of tighten up um you 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 know go away from the things that made you so good in the regular season maybe your shots come up a little bit short um maybe maybe you try to do a hero ball thing instead of throwing it up to the rim for Rudy um and I'm you know I'm not saying that specifically about any one player I think there's just a combination of things that can happen for a team um that hasn't done it before. And it's kind of weird to say that about the jazz because they are playoff tested. I mean, they've gone to the postseason every year for a while now, um, but they haven't gotten too deep into the playoffs. And so those moments may still kind of um, back them down, I guess, for lack of a better term, I, I think you're onto something there.
0: Andy Bailey, join us here to talk uh, playoffs NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. So off season, I think there's three different things the jazz front office can do with the roster. Uh, That that everybody's on to, and I also don't think there's a chance they'll go three for three. If they do, I'll be really impressed, and Dennis Lindsay will be up there for executive of the year again. But they need more size on the guard line. They need uh, the longer athletic wing defender, somebody to pair with Royce O'Neal, who even Dennis in his exit interviews alluded to. There are situations where he's a great defender and other situations that are a little bit more of a challenge for him. Uh, isolated at the top of the key is a little bit more of a challenge for him. Put him on the side where the sideline helps him a little bit, and you accentuate his strength, he's a better defender. Put him in the middle of the floor with quickness, that that might be an issue and someone might be able to blow by him down the lane. We saw that in the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. So long, a long-wing defender to pair with Royce, uh, a big guard to mix in that rotation when you need to match up, and then a small ball five option because they didn't really have a small ball lineup. Some people want to play Elias Silva. I think they'd seen enough out of him defensively to think that that was not going to work. So those three things, are you on with, are, are there any of those you don't agree with? Would you prioritize one over another?
2: I, I think you're right on um, with all of those. And like you said, it would be very difficult to go three of three. It might even be hard to go two of three, Um but if you get <laughs> if you get one, it's better than the situation that you're in right now. I think the first one that you identified is one that's not talked about enough. Um, the size of their starting backcourt is just really small. Uh, this season, when they finally made players list their heights without their shoes, I think Conley and Mitchell both came in at six one. Um, and, and Mitchell can mitigate that a little bit with his wingspan, um, but there are just a lot of backcourts that are going to be able to look right over the top of you. If you, if you have two starting guards who are six, one um, and I, you know, you, somebody may correct me on this um, listening, but I think Royce O'Neill was even listed at six, four after they, you know, changed the way that they list heights. So he's not big either. He looks bigger on the floor to me, um, but he's not six, eight, Nicholas Batum. He's not six, eight, six, nine, Marcus Morris. Um, so if you come up against a team, like the Clippers and, and another thing I think that should be noted is the Clippers were probably the worst possible matchup for the Jazz. I mean, this this was the team that could expose all of this, and there may not have been another team left in the playoffs that could to this degree. And Phoenix has some wings that are kind of similar, so maybe the same thing would have happened against Phoenix. But I think the Clippers are the worst possible matchup in terms of all this stuff. Um, when you come up against a team with a bunch of guys in that six six to six eight range who can all shoot a little bit, who can all dribble a little bit um, – it's just it's going to be a huge problem, um, and and I think whether it's a wing defender, a bigger guard, or a small ball five, anyone who can contain on the perimeter a little bit better would have helped because there was there were stretches in the second half of that last game where it was just blow by after blow yep. by, and then all of a sudden Rudy Gobert is in this terrible you know what do I do, <laughs> do I protect the rim or do I go get Terrence Mann, and I think he he made the calculation and it's probably a fair one to to protect the rim. And so over and over and over, he's late getting out to man. And those are the highlights that get shared on the internet is him, you know, being a second or two late to man. Um, but if you're in that situation, what else are you going to do? I mean, you, you can give up a layup or give a give up a three. And obviously the three's worth more points, but nobody wants to give up layups. Um, so he was in a terrible mind. So <clears throat> this is a long winded answer, but I agree that those are three things that they need. If they can even get one of them, it helps. Um, you know, I, I'm not a guy who's a big G League aficionado, but I I still kind of wonder what's going on with Jarrell Brantley. I mean, maybe he's a guy who can play small ball five for a few minutes here and there. Um, I I don't think they had great options this uh, season, and and so, yeah, those are going to be priorities this offseason. But I just can't help but think they should have tried something, try anything in that second half, even if it's Joe Ingles at the five. (laughs) I mean, he's he's not fleet of foot, obviously, compared to a lot of other guys, but he's not going to be any slower than Nicholas Batum. Um, so, those I, I think you've identified three important things that they got to go after, and even if they get one or two, I think it's a successful off season.
0: So, there's another part of me that says this really sucks because it looked so wide open, but yep. for a team that uh, you know this group hadn't been out of the first round the last couple of years. That's not the profile of a champion. Now, like you say, Phoenix might end up winning this, and Phoenix hadn't even been in the playoffs in a decade. So that's not the profile of a champion either. So, you know, Milwaukee, I guess, is the one team that if they win it, you can say, well, they were building towards it, and this makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because the Atlanta Hawks and the Phoenix Suns are coming out of nowhere, historically speaking, and that shouldn't happen. You know, maybe the Clippers or Bucks, you understand a little more, but not the Clippers without Kawhi. Mm -hmm. So only the Bucks would fit the model of what how a champion should progress. Having said that, the Jazz are on a progression path. Stockton and Malone didn't get there until their seventh and eighth years and required a first-round upset to give them an easier opponent in the second round to get to the Western final. So shouldn't everybody stand back even though, well, that's never going to happen, and I'm asking the impossible.
2: No, I think you're looking at it the rational way. Um, Well, who's got time for that? (laughs) I don't think there are – and I kind of understand why so many people are irrational at this point. It's been, I think, 10, 15, 20 years in the NBA of a pattern being established that if you don't get it done in two or three years, it's time to break it up. Um, Where, I mean, you bring up a great example with the 90s Jazz and how long it took them to get to the finals. Um, It took Michael Jordan quite a while to get to his first finals. And that was sort of the model in the past. We've gone away from that now. Um, And we're in this, we're in this super teams. (laughs) Yeah. Super teams turnover. If you don't, if you don't have a superstar, you can't win. Um, And if you don't get it done in two or three years, you got to try something else. And so I think there will be a temptation to look at this roster and say, well, you know, we've, we've gotten cooked by a small ball lineup a few times in the playoffs. Um, Maybe we explore the mark, explore the market for, Rudy Gobert. I don't I don't know if that's a good idea. Because um, like I said, against twenty four or twenty five teams, he is dominant. I mean he I, I looked this number up the other day. In the last five seasons, the only player in the league with a better total plus minus than Gobert is Stephen Curry. Um, if you trade Gobert and suddenly the team's built around Mitchell, I mean it might work, but you could also be, you know, seventh or eighth in the playoffs
0: next season. You'd be the, I think you'd Gobert, be the, you'd be the Portland Trailblazers.
2: For sure. I mean, you'd be in a very similar situation. That's a great comparison. Um, Gobert is a guy that, that almost guarantees you a top-five defense and gives you a really good shot at home-court advantage every single season. And so I, don't, I think it's way too early to pull the plug on that. Um, I, I think what you've got to do, and this is more difficult to do, especially with the size of Gobert's contract, um, but you have to be able to adjust for those four or five teams that can punish you when you have Gobert on the floor. You have to have some other option. That you can go to, even if it's you know ten minutes in the second half, fifteen minutes in the second half. There's got to be some kind of an adjustment available, um, because every year, especially in the Western Conference, we see year after year, there's at least two or three teams towards the end that can do that. They can they can deploy those positionless lineups that can hurt you from the outside, and, and we've seen that that's trouble for Gobert and the Jazz.
0: So to go back to that whole building thing where the Jazz, uh, it takes seven or eight years, depending on which player you're talking about, for Stockton Malone to get to a conference final. And then they go to five conference finals in seven years, and we all get spoiled. And by the way, I showed up in town at exactly the right time. Thank you very much. Um, (laughs) But that team the win in 92, the first one, they moved everybody on the roster. They lost to the Blazers in the conference finals in six. And of the Clyde Drexler group, right? And so they walk off, they lose that series, they walk off. That's the spring of 92. By the fall of 94, 18 months later, there's only three guys left on the roster Stockton, Malone, Benoit. They flip everybody else. And because it went five times in seven years, and because they kept a couple, you know, the, the stars together. Nobody really notices that. So the people who are screaming, Gobert, I'm like, wow. No, because of all the reasons you said. But the roster right now is set up where there's a guy or two around Gobert and uh, Donovan Mitchell whose contract comes up every year. It's Conley and Niang this year, Niang being the ninth guy in the rotation. It's Ingles the next year. It's Bogey and Favors the year after that. It's Royce O'Neal and Jordan Clarkson after that. So the roster is set up to flip if that's what they decide needs to be done. Some of these guys are younger, some of these guys are older, and that will you know, obviously inform the decision. But they're there to flip a guy or two every year, and then if you accelerate it with a trade... I don't know if it'll be as dramatic as what they did in 92, but this roster could change dramatically. I don't think it changes dramatically this summer because Dennis Lindsay just said, we see in Houston, when he was in Houston, and in San Antonio, now in Utah, we've seen guys in their second or third year really make big steps forward. This will be year three for Conley if he re-signs. This will be year three for Bogey. So, but if they get to another year and, you know, if they go out in the first round next year, well, then there's going to be massive roster turnover. I don't think it will involve Gobert and Mitchell, but beyond Gobert and Mitchell, it might involve anybody. Because you've got a lot of guys who will either be free agents or only have one year left on their deal. So it seems to me that's the timeline for massive change.
2: Yeah, I think you could be. Onto something there, and I—I I don't necessarily think that anything should be off the table over the next few years. Probably Donovan Mitchell, um, because—and I—I you know, should be stronger than probably either.
0: Um, <laughs> Mitchell. There, yeah.
2: go ahead. I mean, they're, Mitchell's they're the guy. So didn't didn't you? Didn't
0: you watch him in the playoffs on one ankle score 39 and have nine (laughs) rebounds and nine assists and think he's doing this and they know he can't drive and jump and he's going for 39 and nine to me, bubble Mitchell that he just happened to be in a bubble. That's who he is. Doesn't have anything to do with shooting background and travel. You can ride Mitchell as a number one scoring option to an NBA title. The last two years, Uh, three playoff series have convinced me.
2: I'm, I'm with you there. And yeah, I think probably was too light of a word to use there. I mean, he's, He's ridiculous. I think when I looked it up, he's got the fifth highest playoff scoring average in in league history. Um the guys behind guys like Durant and, and Jordan. I mean he's in rarefied air there. Um and I think it's especially impressive as you just said that he was doing it on one leg here in the last couple of games against the Clippers. So let's put him off the table. Um I don't necessarily think that they should rule out a Gobert trade. I think that they should have to be blown away by an offer for that to happen. And I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think other teams in the league after what just happened in the playoffs are going to blow that jazz away with an offer. Um, so those two guys are probably set. Um, and like you said, there there are opportunities for turnover over the next few years. I've, I've brought this up on your show and elsewhere a bunch of times. I, I am concerned about the size of a Conley Mitchell backcourt, but I don't know. What else you do if you let Mike Conley walk? You don't have cap space suddenly if you don't re-sign him. They're already over the cap. Um, So, you know, I don't know if it's a two- or three-year deal for Conley, whatever it may be, Um, but you might have to sign him because you you can't really lose that asset. Um, So I think you're right. I think the timeline might be pushed out another year or two before there are big changes made. I think as far as top twos go, there really aren't many that get better than Mitchell and Gobert and still have some potential to grow. I think, I think there are still some steps that Mitchell can take. Um, you know, Gobert's probably a finished product at this point, and I, you know, I'm not one of those guys who thinks he needs to add a jump hook or anything like that. I think he can score 16, 17 points a game as a lob finisher. Um, so I think they've got a great top two, and I think over the next couple years, if they don't break through next season – um, yeah, they're, they're going to have to start thinking about adjusting that roster a little bit.
0: I don't care about Gobert shooting 15-footers. We have people tweeting at us. No. So I don't think he needs to add that. I just think he needs to be able to finish through contact when he's inside of five feet.
2: Yeah, I think if you, you know, if he's got Reggie Jackson on him or something like that, you should be able to dump it to him and he turns and dunks. Um, I, I think that should be the extent of his post. I don't even necessarily think he needs like a drop step. Um, you know, it'd be nice if he could add something like that, but I think he gives you a decent amount of offense already with what he's got. But I think I think that point that you just made is very fair. If if he's got a guy who's five, six, seven inches shorter than him, um, you know, it should be a little bit easier to punish them for that.
0: Andy, I have many questions about the NBA and the NBA playoffs. We will have to get to them another time. But real quick, uh, who's in the finals and who wins?
2: <sighs> what a Crazy conference finals, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think the safe pick is probably Phoenix and Milwaukee in the finals, just because Kawhi's out, like we have said a bunch of times. And I, I'm, I'm going to say Milwaukee. I mean, you can hear me starting the word Phoenix, but I'm going to say Milwaukee. <laughs> it's <laughs> such a tough call right now. I think it would be a cool story if Chris Paul broke through. Um, I, I think. I think Milwaukee's just a little bit more talented at the top. I'm, as I say this, I'm kind of you know thinking through the rosters in my head, and I'm not so sure. Um, but just for the sake of giving you a pick, I'll say Milwaukee.
0: Andy, we appreciate the time. Look forward to having you again on the show down the road. Appreciate it. Have Andy good- Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. Join us right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Jerry Brewer, Washington Post sports columnist. On the NCAA case and how much this is going to change life and how it will work differently for the Utes, the Cougars, the Aggies, and the Wildcats. We'll get to that next. Stay with us.
2: The Big Shoe with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
0: I get why the fan base is grumpy. That is one heck of a way to lose not only a basketball game, but to lose a series. I've seen a lot of fans being very angry and yelling for this and that, and others saying you're not being reasonable, blah, 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 back and forth. But they're really disappointed because these Jazz fans have invested a lot into their team, and the expectations were so high for this team. You start the series by winning two straight games, and then you drop four straight? After last year complaining about losing three straight and how much you had learned from that, you go out and lose four straight. That's a difficult thing for fans to absorb. Catch
2: the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Summer LASIK sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save a $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-2080. That's Davis' vision. I'm of the opinion that things change right in front of you and you don't always notice it. And what you notice is new things happening, new trends, but you don't necessarily notice when old things stop happening. I think players are becoming, and this isn't just an NBA thing, this is an NFL, MLB thing players are becoming small corporations. There's so much money at stake, you know, as far as hiring support people, hiring your own trainer, right? Your own, your own medical people, your own doctor, that kind of stuff. That kind of came to the forefront with Donovan Mitchell uh, when he had to sit out the playoff game. The Jazz didn't clear him. His personal people thought he could play. Um, they hired their own chefs. They hired their own workout guru. You might hire your own shooting coach or whatever, um, Kind of came to a light with the Broncos, right? Because the, the Bronco player who got hurt and now isn't getting paid because he didn't get hurt at the, at the club site. One James. Right. And he got hurt out on his own working out with his own people. So becoming these small corporations. And so I think there's less craziness. Now, we still have NBA players going to strip clubs. But I think there's less of that. And some things change. I mean, you're not on the road as many nights because you're flying charter, not commercial, so you're not staying overnight one more night when some craziness had happened because there's no game the next day. I got to get them five hours anyway. Might as well just go to the club. And so some stuff has changed that, too. But there are still crazy stories out there. I just don't think there are as many of them. But here's a crazy one for you. And I don't know where this is going. This is the first I've heard of it. But I'm going to share the headlines, and you're going to be amazed. Kansas City Chiefs defensive end Frank Clark was arrested in Los Angeles after police saw a I'm letting you pause. You're going to fill in. Clearly, there's a noun that goes there. They saw something, right? Kansas City Chiefs defenseman Frank Clark was arrested in Los Angeles after police saw a submachine gun in his car Sunday. Still happens. I think there's less of this going on. But... Wow. Clark, 28, was pulled over for a vehicle violation south of downtown at about 9.20 p.m. on Sunday. And officers noticed a bag with a Uzi sticking out in plain sight in the car, and he was arrested on suspicion of a concealed firearm in in his vehicle. Clark's attorney, Alex Spiro, said the gun belonged to Clark's bodyguard. Again, small corporations are hiring bodyguards. Clark was also arrested in March, along with another man, when officers said they found two loaded guns in their vehicle after a traffic stop, according to CHP records. It's just an arrest. It's an allegation at this point. Everybody gets their day in court. But there's a headline that just kind of catches your eye. What? An Uzi. right, Handheld machine And then what else is going on? Because I don't think that happens just out of the middle of nowhere. No. So what else is going on? All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, Jerry Brewer, Washington Post sports columnist. The Utes, the Cougars, the Aggies, the Wildcats – Everybody impacted, but not everybody impacted the same way as the NCA has a court case decided in front of the Supreme Court, and the NCAA lost 9 to nothing. That's a complete and total blot in sports terms. It's a rout. It's a sweep. So what does this mean? What does it mean on the field? What does it mean uh, for recruiting? We'll get to that with Jerry Brewer next. Stay with us.